the world is actually moving towards full distribution. But the problem is like if you still have these old ways of doing work, you will not be able to adapt and maybe competitors that actually implement asynchronous first as default way of communicating will outcompete you because they basically have like better processes and a better structure. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today face a global war for talent, and high-skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top freelancers to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Estes. This week, I'm joined by Amir Salifendich, founder and CEO of the productivity company, Doist, a team responsible for the task management app Todoist and the communication platform Twist. Over the past decade, Todoist has grown completely organically to become one of the world's most popular to-do apps with nearly 25 million users and translated to over 19 languages. Twist is an asynchronous communication platform trying to bring the best out of teams. I'm Amir Salafendic. I'm a founder and CEO of Doist, a fully remote company spread around 30 different countries. We have about 75 people and we do mainly productivity software with the creators of Todoist one of the most popular Turo apps, and we also creators of Twist, uh, asynchronous team communication app. I was born in Bosnia and uh, grew up in Denmark, and I have lived around the world since. I'm really excited to talk to you for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one, because you run a very progressive remote-first company that we'll talk about, and then both of the products, the productivity products. Talk to me a little bit about that moment when you were in college trying to figure out task management? Like, what was that moment when you realized that there was a product there, there was a problem to solve? Honestly, Paul, like our secret sauce is like we do stuff for ourselves. So even like initially, like I actually built this for myself. So that was kind of like creating something that I want to use every day. And even with Twist, it was kind of like uh, the need wasn't like done on market research and stuff like that. It was more like, okay, we have like a fully distributed team and like Slack is just awful for these type of context and we need a new tool. And then we look to actually like find a tool because we don't want to develop it ourselves. But there's like nothing on the market that actually addresses this problem. And then after like a lot of discussions, we start to tackle this very hard problem. And I think like both of these problems are like incredibly hard and they are still not really solved. What was the challenge when you started Todoist? The task management software, I think there's like 25 million people that use that on a monthly basis or some, some large number like that. What was the problem that you were looking to solve? The basic problem I was trying to solve was kind of like just planning the day and managing like a lot of responsibility and project at once. So I was kind of a student, but I also had like a, a, some side projects, some side jobs, and also I was a co-founder of another company. So I had like a lot of stuff that I needed to do and I just needed to juggle all of that. And I couldn't like really keep it in my head or like even calendar does not really help, you know, once you have like tens of, of projects. So if you look over the past, say 13 years, just on that task management project, how has it changed 
over time? Like people, are they getting more busy? Like what are the types of tasks and the way that, that your customers are interacting with the software? How has that changed over time? I mean, I think like the biggest change we have seen and really also explored, like when I made this, I only made it for a desktop in 2007. And it was kind of like a desktop first experience. But right now, like we have millions of users on Android and iOS that are using the app. And actually like all of the ways, like the mobile apps are kind of like very powerful and maybe even easier to use than the desktop version. So mobile and, you know, like, like building seamless mobile experiences, like it, has, it has been a very, very critical, I think, shift for like to-do apps in general. And then some other stuff like sharing as well and collaboration. So when I actually initially started, like I started to build this something for myself and it, it didn't have sharing. But like throughout the years, we have actually built sharing and collaboration. And this is also a really, really popular feature now. Let's shift gears a little bit to the, the current events and what's going on. What are you hearing from users and what their needs are that may have been different than, say, two months ago? Honestly, like I think the current biggest issue that I can see is that the practice that people are doing of remote work is kind of very broken. So it's kind of like the, the thing that we did initially, which is basically like adopting a real-time tool and then also like doing a lot of meetings. I think like this is kind of like an anti-pattern to actually, you know, make fully distributed work work or even like, you know, work from home work. And I don't really see this shift in, in the market. So people are not really aware that they actually need to change how they work and they need to adapt it to like the remote environment. So basically what was more like what, what I see and hear is that most people are just like stuck in these Zoom calls all day long. And then like, you know, on top of that, they are also part of like a real-time chat such as Microsoft Teams or Slack. And these are kind of like anti-patterns for me because what you actually want to do is kind of reduce the amounts of meetings you do, like move more over to text and asynchronous communication and also like eliminate like a real-time chat. And especially right now, like if you have kids and you need to like do homeschooling or have like a baby, like you can't really be like stuck in three hour long Zoom calls. For me, like I'm just like looking at the side, from the sidelines and seeing that most people and teams are doing something that's like completely uh, broken. And I think they will have like a very bad experience with with remote work. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of a lot of my friends that that came from location, but you know, like big technology companies here in in Seattle have had a really hard time the first three or four weeks because they didn't change the way they work. They sat in meetings, you know, from seven thirty all the way to to five o'clock and didn't get up and Every meeting lasted an hour because that was the default on on Outlook, the the mail client that they use. And I do think it's really important for people to take time to rethink that this is a different way of, of working. And that's why I get excited to talk to people who have fully distributed teams because it is the remote first type of example, not just remote work. When you were starting Doist, what inspired you to go fully distributed, hiring people from from all over the globe? Versus, you know, the traditional startup of, hey, I'm going to grab myself a nice office, maybe, you know, somewhere in a, in a, a tech hub and bring everybody in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like something and I think like regardless of, of your size, of your company size, like there's a huge, you know, battle on talent, on talent and people. 
And at that time where I actually like found it, Duist, I was living in Santiago, Chile, and I couldn't like really find the people that I needed. But even if you know, live in like the most connected hubs, like Silicon Valley or like London or whatever, finding and hiring really great people is like really, really challenging, especially if you just are starting out. But even as a, you know, as a big company, because there's like so much competition and like the ability to actually hire like globally and finding like people around the world that are really talented, that really want to do the stuff that, that, that like is your company's mission and they, they really connect with that. Maybe a lot of times you can't really find that in like your city. Like you need to actually go global uh, to do that. So I think that was kind of like the, the main driver for me. It was basically like finding the right people and hiring them. Did you find that there was more talent that wanted to work in that way? Or were there people saying, hey, if you don't have an office, then, you know, I'm really looking for an office environment. Yeah, I mean, something to note about this and other like remote first companies is like there's a lot of people that actually want to work in these type of environments. So like some of our job posts like has thousands of uh, applications and a lot of them are really good and they are basically around the world because, you know, like the market of talented people is basically global and you have like just a much bigger pool to, to hire from. And you can see this in, in the numbers. So actually like getting into this or like any other remote first company is actually really, really difficult. It's kind of like we hire 0.1% of the applicants. Yeah, it's harder like than to get into Harvard or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, that, that kind of tells you that there's like a lot more demand than supply. So there's not enough remote first companies that actually offer this. This said, some like really big companies like Stripe, they are kind of like moving into this space as well and creating a fully distributed division of 150 engineers that will be like fully distributed. I think maybe in the US only at first or maybe US and Europe. But still, you know, I think like also bigger companies will actually, you know, begin to adopt this because maybe you can't really find like 150 AI engineers, you know, in a city and you need to like go global and spread globally. Yeah. I can't imagine even if you did find the engineers, by the time you move them to your city and they unpack their boxes and everything else, and it's months, not days to get up and, and running for a team. You've used a term a couple of times that I want to dig into because I know it's important to you. Remote first versus maybe a remote company or remote work. What does remote first mean? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think like remote working is kind of like spectrum. So like on the light end, you maybe have like some people working from home a few days per, per week. And then on the extreme end, you kind of have like no headquarters, no offices. You just work in a global like a cloud. And, you, you know, we are kind of like on the extreme end where we don't really have like a headquarter. We do have like a small office, but it's almost not used by anybody in Porto. I think maybe like uh, five people are in that office. And even then, they, most of the days they actually work from home. <laughs> so I think that's kind of that. And then like you also need to optimize all of your processes towards remote work. So that's like why it's remote first. It's kind of like you're not optimizing towards the office environment. You're optimizing towards like the remote fully distributed environment. Yeah, when I've spent most of my career, you know, 20 plus years now in big tech, the remote person was always the, the person that was outside looking in, right? They were a voice before we all went to video. They were a voice on the other end of a conference call and there were people in the room. And I, I even at the end of my 
time in, in big tech and started to notice where cameras were always on, where people were, were trying to adapt and blend. But in that blended environment, it is really challenging. One of the things that I hear a lot from people who are trying to understand remote work, let's say they're curious and they're going to start engaging talent remotely or they're going to move their team remotely is how do we keep everyone aligned to the vision and how do we create a culture? Because some people would say, hey, look, I do happy hours and I do stand-ups and I do all of these things that are location-based and I bring my team together. And that is at the core of our secret sauce. That is at the core of our culture. And now you have a team that is fully distributed and you don't have the luxury of having everybody, you know, come to a happy hour or, or all hands event. How do you as a CEO of a fully distributed team keep that energy and keep that culture intact? I think like one of the biggest issues here is that remote has a very bad reputation regarding culture, that you can't really build strong culture in a remote team. And this like isn't really true. Like if you see some of like the companies that are operating in the space that actually like some of them have thousands of employees like automatic that create WordPress. Another company that's like I think also passed thousand is GitLab, which is like a GitHub like service. And another companies like ours or buffers, which are small in scale. Like our cultures are actually very, very strong. And also like most people that actually come and join us, they don't really leave. So like the employee retention for our company and for some of the others remote, like fully distributed companies, like over 90% in the last like five years or something like that. I mean, just like insane numbers. So this tells you a bit about like that people actually that are part of this really feel very connected to this type of work and also like to these companies and like the products that they do. And how do you actually like foster this and like, uh, and do this? I think like it's, it really starts when you hire people so for us, like we really want to hire people that really care deeply about the stuff that we work on, which is like task management and team communication. So if people don't really feel motivated to do the, on that, we don't hire them. While maybe like if you are maybe not restricted or like you are restricted to a certain city, then you maybe can find like engineers that only care about task management. You know, but for us, like given that we have like a global pool, we can just find those that like are really great engineers and also to work on task management uh, problems. So, so that's about it. And then I think also like it's really, you need to define like the core values and stuff like that. And it also like these core values need to be communicated out. So for us, like we have a handbook, some of the other companies do as well, where like you have all the processes, the core values, you know, everything goes into the handbook and it's kind of like transparent and can be read by anybody also new people that come and join the company. Another thing is like, I, th- I still think actually you need to meet people. So for a lot of like these remote first companies, like we do retreats. So for us, like we do uh, like a company retreats where we just like go to exotic like places. We have been, for instance, to Iceland. And then we also do team retreats. So, you know, to have like strong teams, you actually need to meet sometimes like maybe once or twice per year where you basically get together, you know, you get a lunch, you get some beers and you can really connect with people on a more personal level. So I think those are kind of like the, uh, the elements of this. Yeah. But honestly, like it's a really, really hard uh, topic. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you said if you live in a location, let's just say, you know, I live here in Seattle, you may be looking for a job and you may be an engineer and, and there might be anywhere from a retail organization 
or a major software supplier or an aeronautics company that needs an engineer and, and you would go and work at one of those places. I think one of the things that stuck out to me with what you said is you get to choose people that are passionate about the work that you're doing. Right. So you not only do you get some of the best talent, but but you get to select people that are passionate and really interested and curious about the work you're doing, not necessarily just looking for a job. And I think that's a one of the big differences I've seen when I look at fully distributed companies versus maybe some other companies. Tell me a little bit about when you realized that Slack wasn't being helpful to your team. And tell me a little bit about the product you created, Twist. For me, you know, as like a leader inside like a bigger or growing company, a problem with Slack and also like uh, Microsoft Teams or any other like real-time chat tool, it's kind of that you need to be connected a lot of times and people expect answers fast. So for me, like, you know, given that we had a lot of time zones, I, I could basically work all the time and I always like have a fear of like missing something critical, like having somebody being blocked without helping them or like feeling that I'm setting like a bad example for the others by not responding or like, you know, so this created like a lot of stress and anxiety. Like, you know, the fear of missing out was like really real and it was a huge problem. So like, you know, I would basically wake up at like 4 a.m. and check, you know, my phone to see like <laughs> if there's uh, any messages that were critical or even worse, like is like in these type of environments, like if you're not online and a discussion happens, once you get online again, maybe the, there's a, like two other discussions that have been done in the meantime and you have basically missed out of like contributing to that. So all of these things were like very, very bad. You know, you just kind of created like a very stressful environment. And we thought like there's a better way to do this. And we already like kind of knew this way. It's like how most of the world currently mostly communicates. It's like email. But email also had like huge amounts of problems. So, you know, like anybody has used email for like team collaboration knows that, you know, like everybody kind of has their own like inbox, their own like thread. You can't really link to anything. Uh, you can like react or use like Giphy's or whatever else like you want in a modern communication tool. So like email wasn't really a, a solution. That's why we kind of like build Twist, which is basically like taking the best from Slack and like mixing it with the best from, from email. So it's basically like a thread-based asynchronous tool. And asynchronous means that the whole design patterns we have used is like you don't need to be online all the time and you don't, don't need to respond right away. So in Twist, like it's kind of natural to just like, like you can go off for two hours, come back and then respond and, and handle the messages. And also some of the messages, especially like threads, are a lot more like emails. Like they, they are not one-liners. They can you know, be like a bigger um, text. You can also include images and, and like documents and stuff like that. So they can be like very rich. And this is also very critical like in remote-first environments is you actually want to provide a lot of context for people. So when they actually come online and need to consume that, you know, they can kind of just like tackle that. And for instance, for, for engineer and designer, like designer would actually do a lot of the work deliver that so the the engineer can actually start and start working on that without any blocks and then they are maybe like in whole different like parts of the world and they can still make this work how was it with your team when you had this realization that hey slack is in many ways distracting in real time and it creates a lot of anxiety i guess in, in an organization 
and you started building Twist. Did your team lean into it and everybody was on board with this new way of working? Or did it take time to get people to change how they worked to being more asynchronous? Because I think the thing that you said that struck me was you were waking up at, and I think everybody could relate to waking up in the, you know, early in the morning or late at night and getting some sort of email or some sort of communication. And it sounds like you've changed the way you work and live with this new tool. Exactly. And honestly, like the big issue with Slack and also like other is kind of like they are very, very addictive. So actually, like our team hated the transition at first. Also, like Twist was kind of like an alpha product that we built in-house, you know, like it wasn't very polished as Slack is. But still, like a lot of the patterns that I used here are kind of like very addictive. It's kind of like small, you know, drops of dopamine and like switching over to a form of communication that isn't so addictive is really, really hard for people because you don't really get the same gratification. And then, you know, you also mix like all the fun aspects of like GIFs and like funny reactions and stuff like that. And then suddenly like you have uh, like a very fierce competitor. But the, the, the issue here is basically like what are you optimizing towards? It's kind of like, are you optimizing for, you know, having people that actually get work done and they are actually like sane, like, you know, they, they can actually have a life outside of work. Are you just like optimizing to having like these addictive people that can really disconnect, that maybe can really do like their normal lives because, you know, we have built this technology that, that is basically all consuming. You know, that's kind of like our struggle. And, and I think like way too few leaders and companies actually focus too much on, on this. So in other types of work, like you would actually maybe go in and, and look at what is actually impact of, of adopting this? Do we actually get like productivity gains out of that? Because I don't actually think so, if we're honest about this. Some of the ideas that you've been talking about that inspired Twist seem, seem to be very applicable to the, the stress that people are feeling of, of being always on with technology. Yeah. And honestly, I think like we have this attack coming in from like the work sector. Uh, and then we also have it in our like social media consumption. Like, and I don't think actually this, this is making our lives much better. I think actually it's like a, maybe making our lives worse. So like we kind of like need to find a balance here and find like a way where we can actually like take uh, advantage of this technology to actually improve our lives instead of like, you know, having technology take over our lives and like maybe also like making them worse. Just like a short note about like the deep work aspects of this uh, is kind of like one of the core uh, like arguments in Carl Newport's book is that the modern organizations will be those and like also, you know, th those that will survive the long term. It's kind of those that can do like hard, solve really hard problems. And, you know, I don't think you can do this if you're just like one line talking all the time and you're like in meetings all day long. Like, I don't really think you can really like focus and really like solve like some really hard issues that, that most of us are, are presented with. No, I, I agree. One of the things that was very different for me when I left big tech was the lack of meetings, the time that I was able to reclaim. In many ways, I work probably as much, if not more, but the change in how I work, I feel much more productive and, and more thoughtful in, in the work that I do. When you made the switch from Slack to Twist, what was one thing personally that you noticed in how you changed the way you were working? Or maybe the way you were engaging with your family? Two of the biggest uh, advantages of asynchronous first culture 
is kind of like that you can structure your days as you see fit. So you're not like it's not really you're not really dictated by being online all the time. So you can kind of like, for instance, like a lot of times I spend like one or two hours with with my kids in the morning, uh, where we just like have a routine, you know, family routine. And this is like so so great. And like I don't really feel like I need to like go in and like log in and like start working. And another thing is like our CTO uh, Gonzalo Silva has like a very special like uh, schedule because he's kind of like a night person. So what he does is like he doesn't usually work in the mornings. He works a bit after lunch and then he works at, at night. And you know, like in a normal company, this would be completely insane. But if you actually like read the the science, like a lot of people actually like night owls. It's where they kind of get re-energized, and this is just like biology. So in a like a remote first environment, you can kind of just like create any kind of like day that fits your needs. Uh, so you know, we have like a lot of stories like this, like where somebody like is a surfer, and then you know they can spend like two hours surfing in like uh, when the waves are best, and they don't really have like this need to be connected. It's one of the things I'm. I'm a early morning person. My wife is a night person, and so you know the <laughs> the idea. And I think you said something that resonated was in a normal work environment, you work from eight to five or eight to six or whatever those hours are. And if you're working outside of those, you're somehow working outside of hours and it feels off-putting to the rest of the team and in designing the work to get done when your brain is most creative or where you have the most energy seems like it makes complete sense. And so that's one of the exciting things when you work for distributed teams because they're global and because you're using different ways to communicate, it's sort of baked into that way of working. If we looked to 2021, things are rapidly changing in, in the way we work and the way companies try to figure out how to be resilient. What do you think are one or two of the, the major things that have have shifted in, in the way that we work and in the way we live? Like on the work front, I really hope that more people actually start to question, you know, being like uh, online all the time, in meetings all the time. Like if this is actually the most productive way to to get work done. I mean, something we have really like seen. Like, I mean, right now we actually see a big growth in Twist. But before this crisis started, there were not many actually people looking for like asynchronous uh, ways of, of working. And I think like once more people experience, you know, the stress and anxiety and like fear of missing out, like using these real time tools, they will kind of like begin to question and you know search for better ways of actually doing this and maybe you know like these extreme companies such as ours like the kind of fully distributed around the world could actually be an uh, inspiration because like even in a normally big company you know you usually are spread in different offices and right now it's also very common to be spread in different states or different you know countries so you kind of like uh, like the world is actually moving towards like full distribution but the problem is like if you still have like these old ways of, of doing work like you will not be able to adapt and maybe a competitor that actually like implements like asynchronous first as default way of communicating will outcompete you because they basically have like better processes and a better structure to work. And then, you know, on top of this, we have like the, the talent war that's going on as well and like finding people, the, the right people that fit like your mission and stuff like that. So honestly, like I'm pretty sure like, you know, right now there's like a handful of big companies that are like fully distributed, but I think like this will become much more common. 
And I'm also sure you will see like big companies such as like Google or Microsoft kind of like creating divisions where they will basically be like fully distributed and try this out. And maybe at some point, like they will also switch over and become like, like fully distributed organizations. All of those companies are now having and being forced to, to take the first steps of understanding what it means to run a fully remote organization due to the current environment. Amir, thank you so much for, for taking the time. If somebody wants to get in touch with you and learn more about your product or just your, the thought leadership that you're putting forth as it relates to remote first, running a remote first company, what's the best way to get in touch? Honestly, I think it's Twitter. So I'm on Amix3K and I tweet uh, quite often and it's mostly related to technology and like remote first and also like our products. Uh, yeah. Well, that sounds so, great. And we'll, and we'll yeah. put all of that information in the show notes. Again, thank you so much and stay safe. Thank you, Paul, for having me. It was a great conversation. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com, where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy. 